like, I was able to get a lot of different views. And most of them were saying, like, you should be angry or we should be angry. And it's okay to be angry and stuff like that. But I wasn't really angry. Um, I was also, I felt a bit desensitized at first. Yeah. Like, um, with George Floyd's death. Um, like, it's on, it's a tragedy. Um, but at the initial, my initial reaction was more just like, um, not surprised, um, disappointed, but just not surprised at all. And so it, I didn't realize when I first heard about it, that it would blow up this much because it's, this has always happened, you know, um, Michael Brown, um, a lot of other people, it's, yeah, it's just uh, growing up. You every few years or every few months, you hear this kind of news like um, all the time. And so, even with people close to you, not close to you, but like in your local community and stuff like that. It so in the UK as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, literally, and and so to me, it's always been an issue, uh-huh. um, but not one one that I I guess. I got comfortable with always being there. Like, that's just yeah. my narrative. Comfortable um, is an interesting word as well. Yeah, like, like we, we, we grew up being told... I was watching um, on Hillsong, the church online, um, on Sunday, they were doing, like, an interview with this guy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, um, like, I'm a black guy, and um, I've been brought up, like, being told I have to work 10 times harder. And da, 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 da. For me, like, that's our narrative. Like, that, I feel like that's our narrative. That's how we see the world. And so when things like this happen, it, it's, it's not, it makes me upset, but not like, oh, need to do something. Because you've been doing something for so long, I don't know, it's just now built in to how I see, how I feel like the world always is. But um, as, you know, the protest started building up, gaining momentum, turning into a civil rights movement, the biggest one we've had ever, I, w- I would say, um, I realised that I'm still not angry and it's okay to not be angry. Like, okay. it's okay to have your own feelings. It was more just like... At first, sad. I like to be positive. Yeah. But I was just thinking, we've already had civil rights movements before, like as big as, you know, Martin Luther King's time. I thought that would be the biggest and that would be the end of it. But it's happening again and it's just like, oh, it's going to happen again. Yeah. I don't know, like, the way the system is something like this if it doesn't if it if it just ends up being like a moment in time it's gonna happen again and so it was my feelings were negative and just sad and just like um i'll do my part but it's gonna pass um it's almost like you're you're not expecting anything to change yeah but um now i would say in the past three days um I've become a lot more positive. Okay. Um, seeing news of like the police officers being put in jail, um, the the count, the state that oh, George Floyd's death happened in. Yeah, the defunding um, the police. What defunding? Yeah, they defunded the police department. 
Uh, yeah, that. What does that mean? It basically means that the amount of money going to the police directly has been reduced and they're reallocating oh, okay. funds to other uh, emergency services or services within the community. Yeah, yeah. I also saw, I didn't know about that one, but I also saw that they've removed the, like, the manoeuvre of um, choke holding or something like that. Yeah. Um, because it actually was legal or something like that and in police training, but now they've removed it. Yeah. Um, so those kind of institutional changes that I'm seeing happening little by little. Um, Washington's first black mayor, um, the street painting, you know, Black Lives Matter. Like those kind of things actually ingrained, being ingrained into society as opposed to the protest. Yeah. But I think is a result of the protest, obviously, um, is what's giving me like the encouragement. Okay things will change. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of pressure, but we need this pressure. Like, we need this. Even if I'm not angry, a, a whole lot of other people are. Yeah. And that I guess that's what the world is listening to right now. But soon things are going to change where we don't, we can, you know, be enacting change through different means. Yeah. Um, uh, not yesterday... Mm-hmm. No, I didn't mean to cut you off, sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. It was just one more thing. I don't know. I just feel like real change is going to start with, like, um, education, which we've always said, but, like, it really needs to be done now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just how we're taught about the world. I, I, I think I definitely do agree. I think one of the points I was going to say is that not being angry doesn't necessarily mean that you, you, you don't care. I think... It's also linking back to kind of what mm-hmm. you're saying about that desensitization, and often you mm-hmm. see that as almost kind of a response to trauma in the sense that you become kind of numb to it. Uh, and even mm. in the UK, for instance, we've had uh, just for black people, we've had 13 uh, black people die in police custody uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, this is compared mm. to about 140 white people dying, uh, and I think about 10 people from other minority ethnic backgrounds. So there is still cases of kind of uh, unfair treatment and police brutality within the UK as well. Um, so mm. kind of that feeling of desensitization, both in the UK and in America, is kind of mirrored there. But one point I want to kind of then jump into is you mentioned kind of education as kind of the, the next thing to change. So what are the changes you want to see in education? Mm-mm. Um, so I did some research yesterday, um, found out about the, uh, an initiative or a group association called the Black Curriculum, um, founded in 2019. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they're, so they're trying to put in, um, black history into yeah. the curriculum. That's brilliant. I think that's the first step, but, uh, Actually, probably the second step. I feel like there's something even more, like, ingrained in just education as a whole. How teachers are taught, um, teaching, like, so I was talking to my friend who's doing her teacher's training, and she was talking about how the di- the lessons, like, the lessons they've been learning on diversity, like, approaching diversity in the classroom and stuff like that, like, it's still very rudimentary, yeah. especially in this day and age. Like, it's not that, it's not that explicit, in the education as much, and I feel like that should be the forefront thing in education, making sure diversity is approached explicitly. Yeah. As opposed to being like um, a target to fill or something like that. Um, and then also, like, um, 
how we're being taught is like the process, like the the process of marking, um, making things more uh, anonymous, even in secondary school, primary school, like the way they do it in university. Because yeah. Found um, te- oh, sorry. No, continue. No, 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 no. Literally, what you're saying. I don't have the statistics, but it, it was just in terms of the fact that even I think it's a difficult. I can't remember the, the specific. Spe- the specific statistics there we go yeah but it was essentially saying how typically when consumers from black Asian backgrounds get their work uh, marked anonymous, anonymously their grades tend to go up higher and this is especially mm. when they get their grades kind of sent to an external uh, assessor an external invigilator that their grades tend to mm. go up uh, versus kind of when they're assessed in the classroom and obviously the teacher can mm-hmm. see who, who's written what Mm. and even predicted grades um like the teacher that gives predicted grades knows the students like their faces and whatever yeah. and if they have like some initial prejudice or whatever um a, student, a black student's predicted grade can tend to be lower than what they actually are able to achieve because yeah. I, I forgot the actual statistics but it was shown that um be bame students tend to over-excel from their predicted grades yeah. than white students. So it's just like, how can they over-excel that much, you know, if they weren't predicted lower than they were thought to be? Just stuff like that. Um, yeah, the more... I feel like education, ed- education as a whole just needs to be flipped around um, as a whole. Like, the things we're learning now, do they really even help us in the world? Like... <laughs> Real talk, like Pythagoras theorem, like I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, are we? Um, yeah. I think we need to learn thing. more about different cultures. I, I think I hundred percent agree with that because even looking at kind of the way a lot of these things are taught, you can definitely see a lot of implicit and explicit biases. I think mm. the most easy example of that is with the predicted grades that be kind of a combination of the two. In terms of kind of what people are taught, I think Ari is a very interesting example because kind of the point of RE is not even almost to uh, kind of teach religious education itself, it's more so to almost kind of teach that understanding which then provides that level of, to- of tolerance and, and acceptance mm. in the sense that mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. let's say for instance you're teaching these students about oh what does it actually mean to be uh, a Muslim what does it actually mean to be Jewish, what does it actually mean to be uh, a Buddhist for instance that provides that understanding mm-hmm. which can then lead to a connection. Uh, I think similarly mm. enough if we provide a similar level of understanding towards issues of race, so whether that be through teaching kind of the whole history of the Britain, so looking at also its impact on colonialism uh, and its imperialistic legacies, or even looking at sociology uh, and looking at how kind of race plays out within the UK society today, uh, you'd probably see a lot more kind of equity and equality within uh, the UK itself. But Mm, shifting mm, slightly mm. away from kind of education, because... Uh, mm-hmm. I think one thing that's really unique one thing I really wanted to talk to you about because obviously as kind of a black man I've had a different experience in the UK from what you've had as a black black woman so mm. uh, I think first off kind of what how do you think your experience has been different from mine potentially yeah no I was literally, I was literally listening to the Receipts Receipts podcast like a few days like last week yeah. um, and the episode I was listening to was called um, black, beautiful black woman or something like that. Um, they were just talking about their experiences as black women um, growing up in the UK. Yeah. And I related so much to everything they were saying. It also then got me thinking about, well, obviously a black man's experience is completely different. But back to the black woman, um, yeah, we are sexualized from birth. Like, <laughs> we're, I feel like we're forced to... I feel like 
just listen to the podcast. I think they talk about it very, very well. Yeah. Um, but basically, like as black women, we are made to grow up or think about ourselves much faster than what well, I feel like other races, well, the white race probably, um, best thing to... No, I, th- I think that's definitely... Clip this against. Yeah. Um, I think really good. So, like, yeah, like, they were talking about one of them, um, she was just skipping on a rope, um, and she developed early, like, you know, the boob area, oh. and, um, yeah, one of the uncles from above was just saying, oh, um, you should stop, probably stop skipping so much, otherwise you're, because you're, your breasts are shaking so much, something like that. Um, and she was then, like, instantly made to feel ashamed for skipping, like, just being a child and just having fun. Um, and also made aware of the fact that she has boobs. Yeah. And, oh, this might be too big or whatever, or I might be a cer- seen a certain way. I-, I remember one time I was walking, this is like, ages ago, this was, like, in secondary school, like six or no, not six or probably year eleven or whatever. Yeah. I was, what was I wearing? I was wearing, I was wearing shorts or something. It was white shorts. Um, and I walked out my street, and this motorcyclist honked at me, and and I wasn't too far from my house. I was probably like a minute walk down from my house, yeah. and I immediately just felt so uncomfortable. And they were like, um, calling me or whatever, um, and I just went straight home and changed. And yeah, I just started immediately looking at myself and thinking, how do other people see me? When that shouldn't be a thing I should think about all, especially at that age. Yeah. I should just be able to wear shorts if I want to. Um, or yeah. And um, it's just stuff like that. And also I would say the colorism within black women as a whole is a very big thing. Um, like they were talking about how Oh, if you're darker skin, if you have a mixed race um, girlfriend, like if your closest friend is a mixed race girl, you're automatically like her guard, seen as her guardian or whatever. So like all the all the men will come chat to you and be like, oh, so what's your friend saying? Like, da, 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 da. And you know what? I looked at my life and I experienced that with like when I was in Australia. Um, the guy I fancied um, liked her and. It wasn't even, I didn't, at the time, it was, like, it was funny, like, we, like, we laughed about it and stuff, but then, like, reflecting back on my feelings, like, oh, I, I don't know, I just always felt, like, second best compared to her, not that I was jealous of her, but just, like, um, I, just, I don't know, I just don't, I just want to be a pirate or whatever, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, a, and, it's a very valid feeling, it's, it's, because it's, it's difficult as, as a guy to kind of, verbalize it I've not necessarily had that direct experience but from what kind of what it looks like it's because of your friend's kind of complexion or because of the associations with said complexion in the not just political but sociological sense in terms of you know this kind of proximity to whiteness being seen as also proximity to being more beautiful Mm -hmm. or being more successful xyz Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. regardless of kind of who you are as an individual will prefer that person due to their kind of skin tone or skin colour. Is that kind of what, what you're touching on? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, it's definitely, all of this I'm touching on is definitely from socio-historical 
relevance um and it really plays a part like that's just how society's been built now um and and the thing and the thing that not amazes me but just makes me even more sad is that i'm not actually that that i'm not that i'm not that dark so myself so reflecting on my experiences with then realize how my closest friend who's darker than me feels because she's made some comments like oh um but it will just be passing comments but now i think back oh these are things that stick out that make me think what if she also feels the same way i feel in relation to um like oh because she, she say something like oh it's okay because oh this lighting time for you or something like that um uh, if we're taking photos or i don't know if we're if we're just at a bar or something and something happens you're like oh da, da, da. Yeah. I don't know I, I can't remember them so well, clearly you, you but have different experiences in terms of kind of not just yeah. with the opposite gender but even interacting with kind of the same gender as well and the same race like yeah. it even it plays even more I would say this whole colorism dimension as a black woman with black men mm-hmm. um because and it was it, even, it was just crazy. I was in Nigeria with my cousin and he was going through my WhatsApp um, contacts um, and he was just commenting on all the girls in my WhatsApp contacts and then he got to a girl who was like the darkest one of them all and was just like, oh, nah, she's just... He doesn't even know her and she's already... And he's already, like, talking about bad about her. My friends... And he was like, yeah, I don't want to be with the other vaccine women. And the thing is, this was in Nigeria, like, yeah. a continent where there's black women everywhere. <laughs> and I'm just like, even in my own home, like, that's how they're thinking. Um, my cousin, been, my family is thinking like that. Majority nations, you still see um, quite blatant examples of anti-blackness. Um, mm-hmm. which... Oh, that's, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was even gonna say no, that's the biggest thing I wanted to touch on. It relates directly to like cosmetics and stuff as well, because you do see mm-hmm. kind of the prominence of like bleaching creams in particular um, as a really good example of just the level of kind of anti-blackness and that desire to lighten your skin tone, um, especially. But what, what yeah. you, you wanted to jump on? Um, yeah, no, um, I feel the biggest way, even more than education, that we can defeat. Um, racial injustice um, yeah. inequality as a whole is self-love like within the black community mm-hmm. um, it's not our fault I would say I would say, as much as we promote um, black is beautiful all my black queens all my black kings we still don't actually love ourselves like it's a hard reality to face yeah but yeah maybe maybe there's there's a black person out there who fully loves themselves, always has, never thought about the difference in their skin colour or whatever. But, and it's not our fault because we've been made to feel like the other in society. Yeah. But even if we take it to like a relationship context, um, if I'm dating this person, they're not seeing who I really am, like the amazing person I am you would tell me to cut them off, focus on myself and not reflect on their feelings of me and just do my thing. And they'll be, and once I love myself first, there'll be someone who sees how much I love myself and just be like, oh my gosh, yeah, she's one, you know, stuff like that. In the same way, we can't tell other people to love us if we don't love ourselves. Um, 
in Nigeria, the political system is so bad. Like, black people are tearing down black people yeah. all the time. Um, even in the UK, with gang violence and stuff like that, like, amongst our own race, like, we're just killing each other. Um, if someone's successful in the creative industry, a black person, like, other black people probably tr- will latch onto them, but not for good reasons. But, like, just to tear them down at the end of it. And we, we see people like Nella Rose with her Twitter comment from years ago, um, you know, that was, like, derogatory or whatever towards black people. Yeah. But she came out saying it's because she didn't love herself back then. Yeah. And that hit me deep because, it like, at some point, I felt, like, not properly like that. But, like, I've been made to think, like, oh, I'm not that, you know, all that. Even though I've, even though there's a dichotomy where I have to think I am all that. So they made you feel kind of less beautiful and less kind of confident in yourself. Uh, and then that impacts yeah. my self-love for myself. But I, I hear yeah, and then, Even the reaction to that as well is quite interesting as well because yeah. she herself is uh, a, a black woman who probably mm-hmm. got kind of disproportionate levels of backlash from there in comparison to other kind of lighter-skinned black women who have said similar things uh, about mm-hmm. being able to move on with their careers and have been able to still kind of garner the same level of support from the community. So it's really quite interesting um, mm-hmm. to look at that kind of dichotomy as well. But I, th- I feel like I mm-hmm. cut you off when you're about to jump into your feelings. So I, po- I apologise for that. Would you be able to tell me a little bit more about what you're feeling? What, just before? Yeah, so I feel like I cut you off a little bit. Oh, yeah, um... <clears throat> Yeah, no, I think it's just, yeah, we just need to love ourselves. I think we need to focus more inwards, like, first, um, achieve success altogether first before we then go to the white man and say, okay, we need to change all these institutions because even if we change all these institutions, if we're still beating each other down, the institutions won't help us. more, any more than we can. Um, I, I kind of remembered something about um, colorism or whatever. Um, in terms of like makeup as a black woman, yeah. um, I would say another reason like that plays a huge factor in how black black women see themselves and beauty standards and all that. Um, so like things are changing better now, especially with Fenty coming out with more shades. But like shades in the makeup range all tend they never tended to go as dark as a lot of people in the world are um so it kind of makes you feel like oh i need to adapt to the makeup rather than makeup adapting to me yeah and, I, and then i think that's also plays into self-love and um yeah no i think you definitely hit the nail on the head there so that idea almost of kind of assimilation uh, and having to kind of, you know, change yourself in order to fit into a society rather than actually feeling included and kind of respected within that. I, I, mm. I think what would be really interesting to kind of jump back at, jump back into is because I think obviously as, as a kind of black man myself, I think it, it, it's definitely quite observable that misogynoir, sorry, so I find it a difficult word to pronounce, but misogynoir, so essentially kind of that misogyny against the black woman does still, is oh. really quite prevalent uh, from a lot of black men towards black women, which mm. ties into the idea again of we should be the ones kind of lifting each other up and yet we're tearing, mm-hmm. we're tearing each other down. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, no, I definitely agree. I think it even goes, it also goes both ways. So black men need to 
stand up for their black women the same way black women also need to stand up for their black men like back in like I don't know 2016 or whatever when then our trash came about I feel like that also played its own role within the black community with um black women so like um I feel like there's two senses to it I don't know one of them being um oh like a black if a black man went with a white woman um like got with a black a white woman um like black woman would then disown him or whatever be like oh you don't even I'm trying to get my point I think I've lost my point but basically no that's not my point basically um black women got it so I saw this um snapchat um thing yeah um it was a list of like the trashiness of black men or whatever so Jamaicans at the top Nigerians next um Ghanaians and there's just a list of different black countries um of how the level of trash has been there and it was created by black women um what they think and I was just like okay so then that means we can't go around dissing black men if they want to go with a white woman if we're discerning them like that like you know what I mean like yeah it was very sad but, yeah, and part of the thing is, it was also like I sadly also agreed. <laughs> <laughs> not, agreed not agreed, but I was like, yeah, Jamaicans are there. <laughs> Jamaicans are there I, but, I think it's interesting to play kind of devil's advocate here because looking at it from um, the the opposite perspective, because you could argue that whenever we're kind of shown images of kind of especially successful black men, they're always shown kind of in tandem with kind of a white woman or a white wife, if that makes sense. So you kind of see this example play out very commonly with kind of, you know, uh, footballers were given, footballers were given mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. example of this. A lot of them have kind of white girlfriends or wives. Uh, rappers as well, where typically they'll be dating kind of those ethnically ambiguous, but typically white passing women. So you, you could argue again that maybe the difference in reactions to you know interracial relationships when it's a black man and a white woman versus where it's a black woman and a white man and even kind of different views and actually kind of again the the trashiness of or, or whatever black men are, are, are trash kind of according to these um kind of according to these snapchat metrics wait sorry you cut off wait sorry so sorry you cut off before snapchat metrics oh what did you say so i was just saying that um essentially playing devil's advocate you could argue that because whenever we're kind of shown an image of success that is always kind of seen as a black man in tandem with a white woman that potentially mm-hmm. this kind of anger or maybe this kind of hurt feeling towards mm-hmm. black men mm-hmm. is from this idea that the success of a black man comes with the abandonment of the black woman Mm-mm-mm-mm. yeah definitely i agree and yeah. I, I think it's interesting because to potentially paraphrase uh, a quote from Malcolm X, he was basically speaking about the fact that within America, um, the black woman was the least protected uh, and the least valued kind of member of society uh, by kind of how they viewed them. And I think within the UK, there's a similar kind of feeling in the sense that a lot of the time, kind of black women are going kind of un- unprotected and unvalued by a black men in comparison. I don't know. <clears throat> it's a tough one. So... I think maybe like, I, I was no continue. Oh no. No, the thing is I I initially I would have agreed with that statement. But I don't know, you know. Who? Only because 
don't know if I can equate what black men face and what black women face on the same playing field. Um, yeah. I feel like they can be very different. Um, especially with when you put in a whole gender dimension into it as well. It's not just about race. Um, with Okay, if we talk about um, the stereotype of black fathers not being part of the family, the impact that that might have on men, and the impact that that would have on a woman, like a girl and a boy in that same family, are completely different. Mm. Um, it might leave a woman with daddy issues or whatever. Um, also, not really valuing a black man as well in that sense, like trusting them to to stay um, for a black man on that. Like for the boy in that family, they might have different effects. Um, having to be the man of the house at an early age, or also not knowing what, or also not, also the idea of the man of the house becomes very misconstrued. Also, is that then there's no whole other thing of man of the house. What kind of? I don't really like that idea. Actually, is this just kind of in. single parent households in particular. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, yeah. Wait, what do you mean single? I mean, if the black, if the black father's left, it yeah, becomes a single yeah, parent yeah, house. That's, that's what I was given. But there are obviously a lot of black mm-hmm. families where they still have kind of both parents present in the household. And yet, and yeah, yeah, kind of these behaviors still persist and exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm coming from a place where I would say I'm that woman. I mean, I'm that girl in that family who had, probably has a misconstrued idea of fatherhood so I don't know if I'm the best per- I might be a bit biased in what I'm saying um, because in a household where um, the two are present there's also the stereotype of just a black father in general who's not really present with their kids who's not um, loving or whatever probably just provides the food um, and that's really it um, whereas there's a lot more that um a boy or a girl might need from their father than that. I don't know. I saw a film about a, a boy who moved to Essex with his mum and dad, got bullied lots by um, the white kids in the school, and his father told him, oh, you need to be strong whatever. Like, he didn't really give really nice advice. He just didn't feel like he could talk to his dad about what's going on. Yeah. And um, he um, ended up, like, really bleaching his skin, doing a lot of things that weren't right. Um... Yes, then there's there's a whole lot of things that play, I don't know, that play into this. No, and I think actually from kind of these stereotypes regarding kind of black fatherhood, it's very interesting um, to kind of look at the tropes that are often portrayed because, uh, again, the idea that kind of no black household has uh, has a black father, well, it's quite, it's, it's, it's kind of a common stereotype played by kind of political figures and played by institutions but mm-hmm. whether or not the father is present or whether or not the father is not present there's a lot of kind of underlying conversations surrounding emotional availability because sometimes mm. we often see and this is kind of looking at masculinity i think as, as a whole um, but obviously mm-hmm. focusing on it from a black lens because that's what I, what I have access to so there's always questions about mm. emotional availability and whether or not black men are actually emotionally available as fathers as partners mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. as, as men in general so, so what are your thoughts or, or experiences from this? That is a topic that I would love to look into. Um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that stereotype or that thought is definitely there. It's definitely implicit, I would say, amongst a lot of black women of their view of black, their views of black men. Um, 
the reason I say implicit is because I can't speak for all black women in that sense, but that's just what I get from my discussions. Um, personally, watching Love Island last year, Luke and, um, oh, the police officer, I forgot his name. Mike? Yeah, Luke and Mike oh, surprised year. me. Yeah, oh, this year, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Luke and Mike surprised me. Like, they are very into the emotions, very into their um, showing love and affection. Yeah. Um, and it's sad to say that it surprised me. Um, was it a not surprise? not surprise, a good surprise, of course, because that's what any girl would like to receive. <laughs> but the stereotype that's implicit in my view about men is that you know they're they're a bit rougher to handle or. Um, they they show love in different ways, um, a bit snaky. Not gonna lie though, it's because probably of what a lot of girls do receive from black men. Um, but that's not to say that that's all black men, and so that's something say, that where should do you think be. The stereotype comes from. It's it has like I feel like stereotypes, to some extent, do come from like personal experience or truths. Um, yeah, like or maybe. You know, I would say it's also not their fault because at the same time, like what they see in music videos, what they see in pop culture of maybe how a black man should approach a woman, like isn't really that useful. And so it kind of leads to maybe those views from uh, from black women, but then also how maybe some black men approach black women to them think these views. Um uh, I think, yeah, pop culture is not helpful at all. I think for me, one one kind of thing they said which I want to kind of touch on because when I mentioned whether or not it was a pleasant surprise, you kind of ag- agreed, and it, it's almost kind of sad or disheartening that mm. it would have to be a surprise to expect kind of love and affection mm-hmm. from a black man towards you. Mm-hmm. Pleasant surprise, but it's bad that it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I shouldn't be surprised. Now, that's that's kind of the point I was touching on. It shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily be a mm-hmm. surprise that someone of the, the same skin color of you as you would love you? If that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, honestly, now I think about it, it's pop culture. Okay, um, let's, let's delve into it. So what about pop culture then? Yeah, like rap music. Um, have you heard um, the baby's new album? No, I don't know who they are. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Uh, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a rapper, it's a rapper. Oh, it's Just stuff baby. like... Oh. <laughs> you said the, I pronounce it wrong. You said the babies. <laughs> oh, the baby. The baby, da. da baby, yeah, the babies, da da, same thing. <laughs> right. But yeah, no. Um, have you had nasty? No, not yet. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the lyrics from black rappers. Okay, have you heard "Nasty Girl" by Notorious B.I.G.? No. You probably won't know the net. You know, you've heard of it. You just haven't heard the title. The t- you just probably don't remember the title of it. But um, just the lyrics can be very overtly sexualized yeah. and also not the kind of nice not not nice sexualized but just like oh she's like this girl like this i'm gonna do this to her this to her like it's just not um romantic or um n- not rough um you know stuff you'd want to hear and so and also when you like see pop culture where like oh he's been trapping since day but then also he's a successful rapper, so you start to equate this like trapping and success yeah. like together maybe. Um 
yeah, music videos. The noughties where you have like Neo and Chris Brown, like, you know, coming out of the stairs, dancing to try to get her attention to woo. The wooing, the wooing's gone. <laughs> I, I think, do you think that's unique to black men or do you think that's kind of men in general? Black men, okay. unfortunately. So, yeah. So there's not kind of white white men who are making kind of similar lyrics, uh, kind of presenting the female figure as more more so passive in any kind of sexual encounter. They do, but not as much. They do. They do, but on the, yeah, not as much. I would say. Um, like okay, Robin Thicke, he, but he is very implicit. I would say what they do is implicit, but. Uh, for example, oh, I forgot the song that got banned or whatever. Um, uh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Blurred Lines. Blurred Lines, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, The music video, fair enough, they have some naked women or whatever, but it's still very implicit. And it's also done slightly with a bit of, not taste, but like, you just won't see how crude stuff is. Yeah. That easily. Um, but in... Um, music videos of black artists it's a lot more that um i think it's interesting because weird enough i've been trying to like make music uh this quarantine and it's actually given me a weird kind of deep dive into the music industry in some sense because a lot of these videos especially when you're kind of looking at young kind of upcoming that's like the the core the core things i was looking at was kind of drill afro beats afro swing uh, rap as well, a bit of hip hop. So kind of using those as an example, potentially kind of black black British UK music trends. They typically tend to have kind of, you know, similar visuals, kind of displays of wealth in terms of, you know, maybe a fancy house, you've got all the mandem with you, you've got like maybe a mm-hmm. nice car. But then the same way they're ex- they're showing off these kind of symbols of wealth, they're also showing off women. You would typically have kind of, you know, a scantily clad um, you know, there's in those in those insta baddies in the videos as well and they're presented uh typically as again kind of a passive accessory uh rather than as kind of women themselves but mm-hmm. uh, look I'm, the way i'm kind of trying to verbalize this is potentially i think it kind of represents a bigger issue in mm-hmm. kind of the music industry as well but also within mm-hmm. how black men interact with said industry because I think mm-hmm. there's already kind of misogynoir and misogyny within the black community. But then also, a lot of these record labels are very aware of the type of music and the type of visuals that mm-hmm. do well in said black community. Hence mm-hmm. why they will then escalate that. And when you have these videos mm-hmm. coming out and the instrumentals, these are things that all follow the same kind of trend or line. Because that's what they yeah. will sell. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there's a black formula. Yeah. to success um, that's been implicated in pop culture and then in society yeah mm, yeah and that's also where you get a lot of um, white artists profiting from these from the black formula yeah. so artists like mm, I, I wouldn't Justin Bieber I guess but he doesn't do it as much as that I mean he did as well to an extent which music video uh, not the music video the song uh, Shape of You Mm. Wait, let me see the music. Wait, the song, not the music video. Yeah, not necessarily. Not necessarily the music video, but the song itself does kind of again play to a lot of the like that that whole beat of that duh, 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 like that that six point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about six point. So they are playing to like yeah. certain genres as well. 
But for me, one thing I find yeah. interesting is that, again, the same as a kind of a black formula for black men, this kind of pigeonholes a lot of black female artists mm-hmm. within kind of a particular space because they're limited in terms of kind of how much creativity they can express in terms of, you know, what is, what is their singer rapping or, or speaking about. Do they have agency? Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? This was literally my essay in Australia. Like, this is literally my whole module. <laughs> it was called Sex and Gender. Yeah. Um, and we did a week on music videos. And it was the most, like, fascinating thing. Um, there was, like, a, a case study with Kiki Palmer um, and Atlanta Records. And they wanted her to fit this bad girl um, stereotype. Um, so when they went in signing the contract with her, yeah. but she refused to sign the contract, and so they, you know, didn't sign a contract with her, and she had to do her own thing. But it's just like that kind of being forced into a box if you want success um, as a black woman. You see, and then you can that you kind of see that play with Nicki Minaj's rise, um, rappers like Little Eve, like they all seem to have that kind of same persona. Yeah. Um, and then we have all these fights, like, oh, you know, you're copying me, whatever. <laughs> but to be honest, like... And it's interesting that, like like that you mentioned they all have similar persona because there's still, again, going back to what we were talking about before, that same trend of hypersexualizing the black woman, uh, especially kind of within these spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, um... No, no I was just going to see what you thought about that as well. Yeah, no, um, I think that's what I mean by the black formula. Like, it doesn't just play out for black men. It's also a thing for black women. Um, basically, this like one of my biggest feelings about being black in society is that you're either placed into a box or you're not. And if you're, like, either way, there's a box that exists for yeah. the black um, body. Um and if you're not in that box, you kind of do get put into the sideline or not the mainstream. Or sometimes you tend to question whether you're even black. But that's, that shouldn't be the case at all. Yeah. Um, I, I posted um, a singer, like the music video of a singer called Black Man in a Black World. And he's like this guy who came to the UK from Uganda and he's selling, like he's, he's an artist. I never knew he existed <laughs> and he said that he only performs to white crowds because the kind of music he performs isn't really affiliated with black music and so he doesn't really get black consumers um, and he's okay with that like he's accepted that Yeah. but that just made me just realise that there is a box and whatever we do as black people is always going to like it's always judged yeah. um, whether we are successful or like Barack Obama, he he's everything we do is questioned. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, it's either I'm the angry black woman or I'm not, and then I or I might sound too white as a black woman. And yeah. So I'm not a black angry black woman. It's just I'm all, there's always a stereotype and there's always a box, and I don't know if we can ever just be seen as just someone. I just, you know, I just people, I'm not a black woman. I just individual. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned um, the fact that he's kind of accepted that he's going to get a predominantly white audience. Because again, this like a lot of the themes he touched upon before are coming back again. Because this touches upon the idea that black people themselves have kind of we, we've kind of swallowed that formula, we've kind of swallowed this idea that these are the things that we should 
kind of consume this is what we associate with blackness and you can mm-hmm. see it playing out in many forms you see it playing out in let's say for instance the way people speak and when people say oh you, you speak like you're white or again the way people act and again you get those comparisons of like oh you're, you behave like a white person like we're, we're mm-hmm. always kind of portraying and again I don't, I don't want to generalise but there are times when we portray our behaviour always in comparison to whiteness and by, mm-hmm. by doing that you create kind of a dependency on whiteness as kind of mm-hmm. a guiding metric for morality or a guiding metric for kind of how we view the world so we're always viewing mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. world through a white lens from a black perspective and and that's why I, I want education to change like it really just needs to be flipped over because we have a, a white world like as much as we don't, might not see it, whatever it is there, and it, it speaks for all cultures, not just black people.